0: All right, I recently went on a quest, and the quest was to try to discover who the history's most famous baby is, okay? So I assumed that baby Jesus would be somewhere near the top of every list. Um, As a matter of fact, I really assumed that baby Jesus would have like a historical lock on the number one spot. No birth story has been told more often, to more people throughout the course of history. But to my surprise, when I searched for the most famous baby in world history, Google thought that it knew better. It gave me what it thought I really wanted, which was a list of the top 10 most famous celebrity babies in the world. Now, I know that people say that Google is supposed to know us better than we know ourselves, Google does not know me, this is proof. Here's my proof. Oh, you guys are gonna hate me. When the women in my family were raving about how hot Chris Hemsworth is, okay, I didn't even know who he was, and I had to look him up. Okay, Proof, I do not know my celebrities. Now, I did look him up, and just for the record, he's got nothing on George Clooney. Or Denzel, which is probably proof that I'm just old. (laughs) Okay, moving on. Now, if you were going to guess who tops the baby celebrity list, anybody? (laughs) Which that would be. That's a good one. Nope. Okay. Okay. Number two. Okay. Number one. If this works, who's okay? Now, we're going to see if I even got this correct. This is celebrity baby number one, okay? And it's not working, so can you go forward for me? Do we have it right? Okay. Okay, this, is, this was, he was number one. Now that, talk about it, face, look at that. Man, that is a cute kid. I can see why he's at the top of the list, right? But look, I expected to see Jesus at the top of the list, and that's, that's what I found, right? Now, does everybody know who this is? Seriously. Okay, guess what? I didn't. Again, I had to look him up to find out who he was. I had absolutely no idea who this baby was. This is disappointing for me. Like, Jesus didn't even crack the top 10 on the list. Like, when I was thinking about Jesus, like, he's this B-list baby, like, he doesn't even make the top 10. I was disappointed. Like, I probably should not have been so surprised at this. Because this baby, honestly, was born at the top. Jesus, in contrast, was born at the bottom. This seemingly insignificant birth from a much lower rung on the social ladder. Luke's birth narrative contrasts the humble birth of baby Jesus against the backdrop of the world's most powerful empire ruled by the world's most powerful man. And this pattern emerges from the Christmas story. And it's a simple one. That which is high will be brought down low, and that which is low will be exalted to the highest. Okay, It starts in Luke chapter 1. Before our readings for today, Luke introduces this theme in his gospel with a very pregnant Mary... Singing this song, she sings, God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, as we prepare with joy to celebrate the gift of the Christ child, embrace the earth with your love and be for us a living hope in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So, the driver of our birth story is this decree that went out that all should be registered. Augustus, whose name, by the way, means revered or exalted one, think about that for a moment, sets the whole Christmas story in motion. This census was a symbol of Roman power. It was also a symbol that reminded Israel that it was a conquered people. To be registered literally means to have your name put on a list, to be counted So I don't know about you, but I don't like being put on lists. As a matter of fact, especially lists that you're put on without your consent. So I spend time every week taking myself off of those kind of lists, right? I check the box every time that says I never signed up for this list. Now Mary and Joseph, they don't have this box available to check. The purpose of this census is really simple, to collect taxes from all the conquered people of this empire. So a census raises really good questions. We are entering into a census year in 2020. And have you noticed that we've been arguing over this? We're arguing over who gets counted and who doesn't. It's not a neutral question. It's also not a simple question because to be counted is to be brought to the attention of the powers that be. Did Mary and Joseph want to be counted? Do they want to be added to this list, right? It's fun stuff to think about, but here's what we do know. Mary and Joseph, they decide to maybe begrudgingly follow this order. They, They set out on this 85 mile, three to five day trip from Nazareth and Galilee to Bethlehem. Mary is very pregnant. At this stage, can you imagine an 85, like I'm thinking 85 steps sounds miserable, okay? She's got a long way to go. So what is Luke doing? Historically speaking, Luke's primary concern is to properly place the birth of Jesus within the imperial reign of Augustus. Augustus had this, uh, ended this long period of war. The Roman Empire is thriving under him. Economy is booming. Rome was being remade, more glorious than ever. Roads are being built, and images of Emperor Augustus can be found in every city with, across the empire. And so we back up a little bit. 17 BC, the strange star appears in heaven. Augustus said that it was his adopted father. We remember our history. Julius Caesar, now considered to be a god ascending to Zeus. If quite naturally, if your dad is a god, you are the son of God, okay? And so it was on this occasion that Caesar Augustus declared himself to be the son of God. His own parliament declared him to be God incarnate on earth. Temples begin to spring up by the mid-first century. Caesar worship is the universal religion of the Roman Empire. Now listen to these titles of Augustus. They should sound really familiar. Son of God. Savior, Lord, and bringer of peace on earth. These were titles given to Caesar Augustus. You can see why Luke wants to contrast the birth of Jesus to Emperor Augustus. One of them is the real thing, and one of them is an imposter. This is what Luke is trying to get across to us. And so on the surface of the story, it would appear that Augustus is in absolute control. But what we see is that There's another force at work. Something else is going on in this story. There's another hand working in this story. This child is born that would inherit the throne of his ancestor David. All the while we read that Augustus, Herod, and Quirinius remain in power. And so in contrast with this high and mighty Augustus, we have the lowly birth of Jesus, this birth that is strikingly simple, Brief and straightforward. It's going to highlight three quick things about the lowly nature of Jesus' birth. The place, Jesus' parents, and those who were present. Shea already did a good job with that last one, right? Jesus doesn't enter the world on palatial grounds. He actually enters the world closer to the grounds, laid in an animal feeding trough in a stable. So Mary and Joseph, they're traveling to Bethlehem. This is Joseph's ancestral city. We can assume that Joseph had family in Bethlehem. Okay? Now Bethlehem, the prophet Micah said, was too small and insignificant even to be mentioned among the clans of Judah. Lowly place. And so Joseph has family there. He probably arrives. They had these first floor and second floor. On the second floor, they would be the places that people slept. Most of those homes would have had a guest room. By the time Mary and Joseph arrived, that guest room probably already has other family in it. The whole empire is traveling to their ancestral cities. People are moving about everywhere. The only thing left for them may have been sharing the place downstairs. The downstairs doubled. It was a living room by day, and they brought the animals inside at night. So, not exactly five-star lodging. But... It's still an act of hospitality nonetheless. What about Jesus' parents? Joseph is from this backwater town in Galilee. Mary is an unwed, pregnant teenager. Together, they're two poor travelers traveling, unknown peasant travelers. Now, who was present? Shea did a great job of this. This is the best part. God meets them in this really, with really surprising company. Barnyard animals and those that take care of of animals. Again, not exactly A-listers. We're told the identity of this child when the angel of the Lord appears, and not to the religious professionals, not in the temple in Jerusalem, not to good church-going people, but to wandering shepherds who are keeping the night watch over their sheep. Like Linus said in the greatest Christmas special scene ever, he says the good news that was great joy for all people was this. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. You recognize some of those same titles. Some of the same titles that were given to Augustus are given to Jesus at his birth. And so in this one incredible sentence, the messenger of God shares with us the identity of the child that was born that day. The fascinating thing is that this incredible message of the birth of Jesus was announced to the wrong people. Those who lived outside. Those who lived outside which made them outsiders. These were people who didn't count. Really important to Luke's story. They're the least impressive. They're the lowest of the emperor's subjects. They're the least deserving. They were those voted least likely to succeed, right? The smell of sheep on a person is the mark of shame. Anyone smelled sheep before? <laughs> if you have, you know why. They stink bad. Really, really bad. And Jesus' birth is announced to people that Emperor Augustus wouldn't even want on his list. Low birthplace, lowly parents lowly barnyard animals, and lowly shepherds. And it got me thinking, I couldn't help but wondering after my celebrity list, if Jesus were born like this today, would he even crack the top ten? I don't know. And it made me think that we live in a world dominated by Little Caesars, not the pizza place that got me through college. (laughs) Little Caesars that represent a world that's enamored with wealth and power, right? Right? Little Caesars that represent a world where might makes right. A world where the lowly often get trampled upon. But in this lowly birth, God was up to something. And those of us that know the story of Scripture, we know that Jesus would be exalted far beyond anything imaginable, exalted to the right hand of God the Father. And so in Jesus' life and ministry, we can also pick the same theme up, right? We watch as Jesus humbled himself to all as Jesus took the form of a servant of the world, never grasping at power, but leading with love. And so Jesus' birth truly is good news to all people. It's a word that says, and I hope everyone hears this, it's a word that says that everybody counts. Everybody counts. No one is left off the list, especially the lowly, because those of us that know our Bible know that God loves to exalt the underdog. It would be some time before Caesar Augustus is brought down from his throne. But that day did come, as it does and has for all emperors and empires before and after him. But what does Scripture say about Mary's son Jesus? That Jesus reigns forever. And so on the night of Jesus' birth, God lifted up the lowly town of Bethlehem. God lifted up the lowly parents of Jesus God lifted up those lowly barnyard animals and the stinky shepherds. And to me, this was my clue when I was thinking about this as to how might we choose to respond to this birth. And this is what I thought of. Whenever the lowly are lifted up, whenever outcasts are welcomed, whenever the hungry are fed, when the poor are clothed and sheltered, where captives are set free, where enemies are reconciled, where good news is proclaimed, where sins are forgiven, where lives are transformed, we see the reign of God breaking into our world more fully until the day that Jesus comes again and the kingdom is complete. And so in the meantime, we join God in that humble work because that which is high will be brought down and that which is low will be exalted. Amen.